You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson. Hey, Life Group Leaders. Welcome to the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leader Podcast. Uh, this is going to be for our lesson in Living Scent for the Sunday of July 2nd, and then all the proceeding off-campus groups for that week. Jay's on vacation, and we're not going to be back till next Tuesday, so I invited Roger Severino to come in here and speak with us. Roger's been on the podcast before. He's part of the adult ministry team, uh, focused on leadership, curriculum, does a lot with our ministry residents. He's just all over the place with his hands in every little aspect of ministry. Uh, just a real pleasure to work with. Uh, before we get started, we've been reminding you the last couple of weeks about the August 13th release date for spiritual leadership, the new curriculum, and that'll be in your uh, rooms two weeks before that. But Roger had a big hand, maybe the major hand, in that curriculum, and he talked with Dr. Jeff Orge a lot and um, got to know him pretty well, and I've been very much butchering Orge's uh, both job and where Golden Gate ended up moving and all the rest of it. So we give us a brief bio on Dr. Orch? Sure, absolutely. Well, the first time that I, I called over, I said, may I speak to Dr. Yorg? And, the, and immediately the, his assistant uh, corrected me and said, it's Orch as in George. It's I-O-R-G, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's spelled I-O-R-G. Incredible. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, when we were thinking about writing these uh, spiritual leadership lessons, we started brainstorming who would be our ideal person to contact. And let's shoot for the stars. Who might it be? And I think it might have been Steve Layton who said, you know what? He said, I'd love to get uh, Dr. Orge uh, to do it because he has written about this. If you go to uh, christianbook.com or if you go to amazon.com and you put in his name, I-O-R-G, you'll notice that uh, there are several books related to spiritual leadership that he has written. And so we thought, you know what, let's shoot for the stars. Let's do it. So we went, uh, contacted him, and lo and behold, he said yes. We were very grateful for that. And at that point, he was moving a seminary, Golden Gate Seminary, where Scott Harris and I can't remember if there's anybody else on our staff that uh, that went there, but used to be, as the name would suggest, in the Bay Area of San Francisco, uh, such a key property, such a prime property that they finally, uh, I think, maybe were made an offer they couldn't refuse. They have moved the seminaries to another part of California, uh, maybe Riverside, Riverdale, one of those. Yeah, sounds right. Um, and change names. Maybe it's Gateway Seminary now, but it's still, you know, it's still in line with the uh, the original Golden Gate Seminary. So we're delighted to have Dr. Orge, the president of that seminary, uh, writing our next uh, lessons for our next series, and he did a fantastic job. Yeah, he really did. I'm looking forward to it. Really empowering uh, the entire membership of BBC to understand themselves as a royal priesthood, as believers who are called to spiritually lead others. I'm very much excited for it. Yes, uh, I'm glad you said that. This, you know, the, the danger of calling something spiritual leadership is that our people in the pew may think, well, that doesn't relate to me. But we make a pretty strong case early on that if you're a follower of Jesus, that we are called to steward our gifts and our talents and our influence um, in ways that honor him. And so in a sense, we are all spiritual leaders. Now, granted, we understand the church has certain roles and offices that are unique uh, that certain people fill. And we understand that we acknowledge that in, in, in the studies. But but there's another sense in which we are all uh, aspiring to be spiritual leaders. So our text for today, uh, the, the text in question is chapters one through eight of Romans, which is a big chunk. Our focal text is Romans 1, 
chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. But because we suggest the entire background of 1 through 8, we thought it'd be good to set a little context for Romans proper, and then also maybe more specifically about the chapters that we have before us uh, for this lesson. Uh, so the way I understand Romans is Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome, which is a mixture of Jewish converts and Gentile converts, both to the way, to Christianity. Uh, and Paul, and you find this in a lot of his letters, if not most of them, just talks about the unity of the body and this idea that, yes, we as Israel were given the promise, but God's restoration and reconciliation of mankind to himself was way more radical than maybe the rabbinical teachers had expected. And so that now these Gentiles are being grafted into the promise that was Israel's through Abraham. Uh, just really an incredible truth. Uh, so you get you get disunity then within the body uh, about who has favor, who has the advantage. How do we understand this Messiah who was supposed to overthrow Rome and uh, restore the Davidic throne for Israel? And yet now these Gentiles are a part of our promise. And it was a, just an incredible, extraordinary, confusing time. And Paul is writing in the midst of all of that, fighting for unity, uh, one body under Christ and in Christ. So do you have anything else to add to that, Roger? Well, you know, what I thought I would do maybe in setting up uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 17, which is our focal passage where I'm sure most of our um, people will focus in on what the lesson focuses in on, um, is uh, one of my favorite commentators. And by the way, I'm a fan of commentaries. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I don't let commentaries do your thinking for you so that you can misuse them. I think you should look at the text for yourself with your own eyes first. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of finding some of those solid key people resources um, that you have in a library, whether it's a digital library or a, or a literal book, a literal book that you hold in your hands. Um, but one of my heroes of the faith has been John Stott. He's a British evangelical who served in the Anglican Church. He died, passed away maybe five years ago, I think on my birthday, July 28th, if I recall. Um, like I'm not sure, maybe five years ago or so, but uh, his commentary on Romans, I'm just going to highlight some of the things that he says uh, in the in the greeting verses 1 through 6 of Romans. Um, and I'm just going to treetop this and give you some of the things he says about the gospel because the theme for this week is communicating the gospel. So what, what is the gospel? Well, euangelion is the name in Greek, and it just means good news. So what is this good news about Jesus? And in the uh, greetings that Paul gives to the Romans, verses 1 through 6, um, John Stott kind of summarizes it this way. And if and if uh, you're driving and you can't write this down and you need this information, uh, feel free to reach out to me and I'll get it to you. But the origin of the gospel is God. So in this, you know, it makes it very clear that God, this is the gospel of God, Paul says in, in, in verse 1 and 2. And then the attestation of the gospel is scripture. So... Uh, Paul says here, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Then he talks about uh, David, the promises through David. Um, some of you may recall God's unfolding story where uh, we understand that, that the salvation that he has promised didn't, didn't begin simply with Jesus' birth, as important and, and as climactic as that was, but, but it's, it's uh, God's um, salvation history throughout scripture that ultimately culminates with the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, and then as we look forward to his return. Uh, number three, the substance of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And and um, you'll see in, in verse two and three talking about this gospel regarding his son. 
And so uh, Jesus is the focus of the gospel. Talks about both his humanity as a descendant of David and him being the son of God and him being Lord, which might, I think, give nod to his deity. So we see even here perhaps a picture of both the full humanity and the full deity of Christ, even in those brief words. The scope of the gospel is all the nations. Uh, Paul says um, in this uh, uh, first few verses, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles. Um, and so the scope is all the nations. And then uh, the purpose of the gospel is the obedience of faith. And John Stott talks a little bit about what does that obedience of faith mean. But but we know from the, the book of Romans that faith is a, is a crucial and key theme, that it's, it's our faith in Christ alone that saves us, not our own um, works of righteousness, uh, but it's, it's by his grace through faith. And then the goal of the gospel is the honor, is the honor of Christ's name, because Paul talks about all this is for his namesake, for Christ's namesake. So those are simple things, uh, things that as a life group leader you've heard before, but just, just a good things to remember, uh, as, as you talk about the gospel that we communicate. That might just be a simple way to unpack it. And Paul, if I can, I'm just going to give maybe just some brief thoughts, then continuing with the gospel on verses 14 through 17, and I'd like you to unpack some more things. Yeah, so can we run through the five, just the headings again? Sure, absolutely. Those, those, those yes, yeah, absolutely. that's a good framework for unpacking this lesson. Absolutely. The origin of the gospel is God. Number two, the attestation of the gospel is scripture. So scripture attests and describes what this salvation, what this gospel is. Three, the substance of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Four, the scope of the gospel is all the nations, meaning that this good news we are called to share with everyone the purpose of the gospel is the obedience of faith. That's a, a term that Paul uses here. So it's um, faith in Christ and, and walking in obedience to that. And then finally, the goal of the gospel is the honor of Christ's name, that all this is done for the glory and honor of Christ and for his name's sake. And uh, so that that is kind of a brief overview. Yeah, that's a great framework to what is the gospel. And then better you know it, the more you internalize it, the better you share it, for sure. That's a good framework. And then, and then uh, I'm going to skip over kind of the thanksgiving or greeting part after that, just to go, go straight to our, our focal passage here. And, and once again, utilizing Dr. Stott's words, uh, the gospel is a debt to the world. And he kind of takes that word, I am bound or I'm under obligation that Paul talks about, uh, meaning that, that we've received this good news. So we, we have a debt to, to share that with others. And so that's kind of the way, it seems to be the way that Paul, uh, Paul describes it in the way that, uh, we may understand the gospel, that, that it's, it's a debt to the world. We, we have an obligation. Uh, the gospel is God's power for salvation, verse 16. Uh, of course, that's in many ways the, uh, the, the theme of this, of this uh, lesson. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And then finally, the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Um, the gospel uh, as it says, from the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, or from faith to faith. And interesting, uh, Paul, that we are now celebrating um, in October of this year, the 500-year uh, celebration of Luther nailing the, the thesis to the, the Wittenberg door. And uh, this verse 17 was a key part of Luther's story. He, you may know his story that he was a monk who just... Uh, thought that uh, that he didn't like God. He served God, but he saw God as this taskmaster that demanded perfection that no one, no human being could keep. And no matter how much he 
prayed no matter how much he tried to be a good monk and confess all his sins and, and work as hard as he could. He felt like he was on this treadmill that God would not be satisfied. And so when he got yeah, to and verse... I've read, and I've read stories of Luther confessing to his priest, leaving before he got down to the end of the hallway, he remembered more sins, would double back and go do <laughs> even more confession than, than he did before. So Luther, as a teacher of Scripture, got to this verse and he said, how can the righteousness of God be good news? He said, I don't understand it. He says, for me, it's bad news. The righteousness of God to me means that righteous, holy standard that God is, and I am not, and it just shows me that huge uh, gap, gap that's between where who I am and who God is. And then finally, as he studied Romans and ruminated on it, he began to see that this is the righteousness that God gives towards sinners uh, through faith in Christ. And so for him, it was a born-again experience. It was, it, was a, it was a conversion for him that, of course, you know, we are still remembering here 500 years later. Yeah, Luther's not a bad person to uh, raise up. Uh, he was bold. We should strive for his kind of boldness. Certainly made some blunders along the way. But definitely had, at least at the core, uh, the right idea about what he was fighting for. Um, never, never sought to create a new thing. Never, never sought to create a Lutheran church or a ref, or a entire Protestant movement. Really sought to reform what he was already a part of back to a more biblical understanding. That's right. And it's, um, I'm going to highlight something on page 112 here about the uniqueness of our God. But I also think it's the uniqueness of the Reformation. I see a lot of other reformations and other faiths, and usually what they mean, at least generally, what they mean is let's reject the core text and sync everything up with modern thought and modern reality. And the Christian, the Protestant Reformation said, let's get back to the sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original is where the truth is found. We don't need to change anything. We don't need to update anything. Let's get back to what the apostles revealed as they understood from walking with the Christ man, the God man. Uh, it's a really unique thing that we go back to the origins and claim the birth of our faith, whereas a lot of these others try to trash, or trash maybe is the wrong word, but try to dilute the origins and say, how can we sync it up with modern thought and modern culture? It's kind of a neat idea. And then likewise, at the bottom of page 112, uh, Jason has a paragraph on the uniqueness of our God, uh, that our God seeks to transform us. Uh, what kind of God would give his righteousness to the unrighteous? What kind of God does that? Only the God who is love, good, and gracious enough to give his righteousness to the ungodly. And it is so true. that uh, You know, I like comparative religion. I like comparative philosophies. And there, there's nothing quite like our um, our gospel, where the supreme being of the universe condescends to become flesh and endure growth in order to redeem his own people, that he takes it upon his own shoulders to redeem his own people. Um, Not that he just sets a general pathway, gives us runway lights and says, I hope you make it, but that he comes and fishes us out of the muck and mire of our own sinful uh, depravity and and garbage that we're in. It's It's a really incredible thing, and it's a unique thing in the history of thought. On page 114... I really like the idea of sanctification. Um, the good news certainly, I think, carries with it this idea of justification. When we evangelize, we want to highlight the justification. But as maturing believers, we don't want to forget about sanctification. And that is to say that we were justified through Christ's righteousness and obedience to the cross. 
we buy into that by confessing with our mouths, believing in our hearts, Romans 10. Uh, but then we ought to grow. We ought to be formed, transformed, and conformed into the image of Christ. We ought to speak a little more like Jesus, act a little more like Jesus, what we talked about last week, gospel fluency. We ought to adopt the worldview of Jesus. Um, and that's our sanctification as we grow in this process. So Jason writes, from faith to faith points to faith as our initial response to righteousness of God that was revealed in the gospel, then to the ongoing, fully reliant on Jesus direction of our lives. So the gospel has ongoing implications for the entirety of our life on this on this side of the eternal kingdom anyway. That's absolutely. Yeah, good good word there. Um I also just thought it'd be good to highlight maybe for the class um I I'm going to give a quick overview of maybe some of the things that uh, that Jason uh, suggested. Hey, what, what, how do we communicate this gospel? What what are the practical handles? And he gives five and you have it there. So I know you can and, read. And even while they're in the book Roger, I think you're right to highlight them because this is one of the major issues is that people have a desire to share but they lack confidence and don't know how. So this was worth highlighting. Absolutely. So you have it there in front of you, but let me just kind of hear hear five uh, practical applications that Jason gives that I think are worth noting. One, he talks about what he calls scripturing. And this is very, I think this is pretty much when he talks about gospel fluency, one and the same thing. And what that means is that we learn in our conversations and talking to people, particularly maybe unbelievers, that rather than quoting them a Bible verse, that we begin to know scripture well enough that we, we... the themes uh, begin to resonate with us, and we understand how to translate it into modern-day 21st century American discussions. So that um, rather than you know quoting a Bible verse to my neighbor or to the person at the grocery store or uh, you know a family member, um, maybe we we can share something that is um, our own. Um, translation of, of what we're learning in scripture and, and, uh, and if people say, Hey, where did, you know, where'd you get that bit of wisdom? Well, you know, this is basically, you know, uh, my own kind of paraphrase of what I'm learning in scripture. So that's part of what gospel fluency is about. Story. Yeah. Let me add two things yeah, to go that. Ahead. I, I really like the way you explained it. Uh, one is Roger highlighted that we're learning the gospel constantly. Mm-hmm. We're constantly in this process of being taught by the scriptures, by the spirit. And that the best teachers are the ones that teach what they're being taught, that share with their groups or share with the people they're evangelizing to what they're being taught by God. So that's really crucial and that's really significant. And then second, about relating it to our culture without quoting the text specifically, uh, just think about Jesus' parables. He doesn't always quote Deuteronomy. He quotes plenty of Deuteronomy, plenty of Leviticus, as should we. But he also gives parables in, in about um, context of farmers or context of these agrarian cultures or context of fishing. And there's no problem with us doing the same. That's why we need to understand the gospel concepts so well that we can tie them into the modern culture. No different than Christ. Yeah. Another strategy that uh, has certainly been used on the mission field, but more and more people are suggesting that it can even be used in first century worlds such as our own uh, here in the United States is storying. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because Jason references a website on, on the Brentwood Baptist website that people can go to to see examples of this. But and, and but we had a team of people when we did God's Unfolding Story who took all of those biblical passages 
and they put them in story form. And um, rather than trying to explain what that is, uh, you can look at the resources that are offered online. But but there are people I know and some of our regional campuses, such as at Woodbine and other places, that are using this as a as an outreach tool, particularly among some of our uh, refugees and and um, other internationals that are in our community. But uh, but people have even found success in sharing it with with you know people who've grown up and been raised in the United States as well. So so consider that. Third is that Jason talks about something called three circles. It's it's something that. Uh, the North American Mission Board and others have said, hey, here's a way of explaining the gospel to people. And, you you know, me growing up, there was the Romans Road. There was the bridge illustration. Uh, there were some others that were used um, as well. Uh, but it's just find, find a way that, that you feel comfortable in explaining the basics of, of the gospel. And three circles, if you once again, go, uh, Jason, I think, gives the website to that. You can go look at that as, as another tool that you might want to consider. He talks about the welcoming word, just how people invite us into their lives, how we invite others in, into our lives. You know, that neighbor that we're getting to know that invites us over or we invite them over for a, for a cookout. You know, um, just being that welcoming presence. And then finally, he talks about personal story. Just, just telling our testimony. You know, no one can argue about that. Here's, you know, here's what I was looking for. Uh, here's, here's my brokenness. And, and then, uh, here's where I met Christ. And here's the ways that he's changed my life. Just, just our own personal journey. Just being able to share that. Uh, many times, uh, our own personal stories can do more than you know ten Bible verses or you know uh, gospel presentations. Just, just sharing the power of our own story. Yeah, and like I heard a life group leader say this two weeks ago now, I guess, uh, Martin Day for twenty five thirty five group was shared his testimony with the group and said that the details look different in our in our stories a lot of times but the substance is the same the idea of rebellion the seeking after things to fill uh wants and desires that only christ can fill is the same for all of us uh, our group members are going to model in their own discipleship of others how they are discipled uh, they're going to be as vulnerable as we as group leaders are vulnerable so as we're open and share our stories with them make our lives accessible to them and disciple them in ways that foster uh, a maturity in the word, um, an evangelistic bent, and certainly a reproductive mindset. And that's what they're going to go do for others. So I encourage you, if you if you feel compelled, um, I, I strongly encourage and support you sharing your story with your group this week, if you haven't, to model for them, here's what a testimony looks like. And we ought to know them well so that we can share them. And we ought to know them well enough where we can apply it to whoever we're talking to and whatever muck and mire they're uh, knee-deep in to show them that Christ is the way out, no matter what it might be. So the more accessible we are uh, to our group members, the more transformation they're going to experience and the more vulnerable and open they're going to be to those whom they disciple. And it's going to it's going to bear much fruit, I think, as we go down that road, or at least it has for me in my experience. Paul, I think the, the, the last thing that I'll, I'll share, and then you can close this up, is, uh, you know, I, I'm planning on teaching the lesson this Sunday, and, um, you know, I'm thinking, how will I end this lesson? And I think, really, the, the question that's offered as the last kind of reflective question in your book is, I think, where I'm going to land, and you might want to consider. Because after all this lesson, you know, your, your people in, in your class might be thinking, okay, just give me one next step. You know, you've talked to me about all these different things, scripturing, storying, three circles. Give me one next step. I, I think probably the best, easiest win next step that I'll probably give my class is 
what's mentioned in the book. List three people that, as far as you know, are, are far from Christ, don't know Christ, don't have a personal relationship with Christ. Put them down. Put their names down. Begin to pray. Look for opportunities to reach out to that person and to, um, you know, have a conversation. Whether you, you know, go, you know, are able to talk about Christ from beginning to end or not, begin planting the seeds and having those conversations. I think, I think, you know, if, if we want to give our people one, one thing to walk away with, it's, it's at least that. Let's, let's, let's identify three people in our lives that we can be prayed for and look for opportunities to share with. That's great. And I'm going to add one more, one last thing. Uh, to that list is encourage your people to practice this stuff. I was very hesitant about practicing because it seems, or in, intuitively to me, it seemed more noble to get up there in all good faith and kind of wing it in the moment through the power of the Spirit. And my preaching professor uh, got that out of me in a hurry and said that it is, because he even encouraged practicing in front of a mirror to yourself as you're preaching, and listen to yourself, record it, look at yourself, watch yourself, and get better. Because what happens is, if we wing it and we're not very good at it, it becomes a distraction, because people are focused on the war zone that is our message or presentation or the train wreck they're looking at, as opposed to the fact that we're pointing to Christ. So the better we do doesn't bring glory to us, because we're always pointing the glory back to Christ. So practice, have your people practice their testimonies, even with other believers, even with their spouse or whomever else. Share your testimony, share it with your kids, uh, practice storying, do all this different stuff and get good at it. And you'll be surprised how it will just flop out of you when you least expect it in the midst of these evangelistic um, encounters you have with people in your sphere of influence. Uh, questions that you might get asked this week that, I mean, are worth being prepared for is maybe how do I grow my faith? Because we talk about faith to faith and having faith and righteousness of faith. So how do we grow it? Uh, I would say a couple things. One, pray for it. I don't think it's bad to pray for more faith, to reach out to God and say, you know, give me or allow me, well, not even the right way to say it, um, maybe help me to be more sensitive to the fullness of the Spirit that's indwelling me. So I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit is screaming to us on a perpetual basis what the um, supreme essential will of God is, what I doubt is that I'm always tuned into it, that I might be on an AM station and the Holy Spirit's on FM 99.7 or something, and that, um, you know, I need to be I need to be in tune with it to hear it well and increase my spiritual sensitivity. And a lot of that can just start with prayer. Pray that we grow in faith, that we get a deeper faith, uh, that we have a mature Christ-like faith. Uh, second, stay in your word, stay in the disciplines. It's not, um, it's, it's not a negative. Certainly, we don't want that to be the end of our discipleship, but I think it is, is part of our discipleship is growing in maturity in the word, in prayer, in fasting. And again, the way these all sync together is just stunning. So, for instance, I always was, I don't say I was against fasting, but I always felt like I was giving God an ultimatum because I only thought about fasting when I needed something. So I was like, all right, I'll do this if you do that. It was kind of my mentality to God. And after reading a book on fasting, um, I tried it a few times. And what I found was that when the hunger pains hit, the fast really wasn't about the fast. It was that the hunger pains drive you to prayer. Uh, so every time you get hungry, you immediately start praying. It's really stunning. And the more you pray, the more you have a passion to get back in your word. Because you're like, man, am I really praying the things of God? Well, where am I going to get the things of God in his word? And then as you study the word, you say, well, I need to be meditating on that. That's an incredible promise right there. 
or like Jason on page 112, what a uniqueness that our God, as Jason would say, puts on human skin and comes to get us. Let me meditate on that. And then so now you're practicing meditation, scripture, memory, silence, and solitude. So they all bleed into one another. And the more we're in tune to the spirit, the more we're going to be willing to share our faith when the time comes. So pray for it. Stay in your disciplines. And then always be on the lookout um, for these encounters. The second thing, and I'll share it again. I think I talked about it last week or two weeks ago. But it's so important because it, again, is the major issue I encounter with the people in our body when it comes to sharing their faith is that they lack the confidence to do it because they don't understand their role in it. Uh, so in other words, what if I don't do good enough? What if I don't share the gospel well? And what if I don't know the answers to the questions? So we have to repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly hammer into our people their role in missions, which is to be a pointer to God. They cannot convert anyone. Use First Corinthians 1 as your text. Um, some say you're of Paul. Some say you're of Apollos. Uh, one plants, one waters. It's always God who gives the growth. Likewise, it's always God in the, through the Spirit who gives the conversion to people. What we're called to do are be instruments of that conversion. So in the moment, a success. and So define success for your people. Cast vision for evangelistic success for your members. Because my bet is that they think a success is a conversion. And I would argue that it's not. A six, an evangelistic success is that you were faithful to the moment to be honest, sincere about your story in Christ and about the truth of the gospel. And if you're faithful to that moment in that way, then that's a win. And we rely on the spirit to do the rest of the conversion as we love and minister and walk with other people. So the success is, are you faithful to the moment in sharing your story of Christ's great work in your life and then the truths of the good news, the the truth of the gospel. So either of those questions come up, uh, just be ready for those. And I'm sure there's others, but you guys always do so great uh, with your group members and with your faithfulness to the word. So another good week. Thank you, Roger, for being here and fixing all of my confusion on Jorg uh, <laughs> and spiritual <laughs> leadership that's coming out. Um, and anytime you want to come back, man, you know, we, we love your thoughtfulness and it's always good to pick up John Stott. So there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you, Paul. You, uh, what a pleasure it is to work with you. Um, just such a great mind and heart. And uh, and thank you, Life Group Leaders, for all you do. We certainly appreciate you all and, and just the tremendous things uh, that you do in loving and shepherding and teaching your people each week. Uh, we pray for you and are very thankful to God for you. Amen. Have a good group time.